Because faith comes through hearing the message of Christ, this sermon has been uploaded for you by Grace Unlimited, a ministry that functions out of Living Hope Church, Pretoria, South Africa. We want Jesus Christ to have first place in everything in our church. And we want to help you know and follow Jesus in all of life and to help others do the same. Find out more or download many more free sermons at graceunlimited.co.za or livinghopechurch.co.za. It is good to be with you this Sunday morning. If there's still any kids who would like to go to Sunday school and children's church, you are welcome to leave. And from ages 1 to 5, it's just through these doors into the room next door. So if you still haven't uh, made your way over there, the kids are welcome to go over there. And uh, as we start, we can get ready to hear from God's Word. Again, we are encouraged because we see a lot of uh, new faces even amongst us today. And that is always wonderful. But of course, a special Sunday because we're going to welcome some new members. Over the last couple of weeks, as you know, we've been studying the book of Galatians. And we want to turn to the book of Galatians now. So if you want to take out your Bibles, and we're going to turn to God's Word, and specifically the book of Galatians. And we are studying this amazing truth of the, the doctrine of justification by faith. Justification by faith. And you know we've been talking a lot about the blessing of Abraham over the last few weeks. And so today's message is titled, Is My Life Cursed? Is My Life Cursed? That's what I want you to evaluate from God's Word today. And so let's just read together from Galatians chapter 3. And we're just going to spend our time today in verses 10 to 14. Galatians 3, 10-14. Now let's listen to the living Word of God. For all who rely on works of the law are under a curse. For it is written, Cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law and do them. Now it is evident that no one is justified before God by the law. For the righteous shall live by faith. Verse 12. But the law is not of faith. Rather, the one who does them shall live by them. Verse 13. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For He is written, Cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. So that in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles. So that we might receive the promised Spirit through faith. Let's just pray one more time and ask God's help as we study His Word. Father, we thank You that You've gathered us in this place today. Father, indeed, Your Word is living and active. And we ask now, Lord, that You would show us any self-reliance, any self-dependence we have on ourselves. That we might turn from that and cling to the one and only Jesus Christ, our Savior, who became the very curse for us. We ask this in your name. Amen. Living Up Church, can you imagine what it would be like in the world 
and in the society that we live in, if there were no laws given to govern God's people, if there were no laws at all to govern any people, what do you think would happen? Imagine there's no speed limits, for example. No rules on whether what you should do or what you shouldn't do, whether you should wear a mask or not wear a mask during an unknown pandemic. No rules that tell you what who can come into the country and who cannot. No laws to stop people from taking what does not belong to them. People just doing and saying whatever they want. You can imagine life would be totally chaotic, wouldn't it? But even, the thing is, even though we sometimes resist these laws that are given to us, in general, we know they are good for us, right? We know they're good for us. They protect society. So that things don't get out of control completely. And for, the, for something to be a law, it has to be followed exactly. Otherwise, it's not a law, is it? Otherwise, it's more like a suggestion. I mean, I think a lot of people treat speeding limits like suggestions until that guy jumps in the road and pulls them over and then all of a sudden they remember oh it's actually a law that I have to follow I can't just speed and drive the way I want well, let's think about the law of God for a moment just think about God's law in terms of parenting some parents they, they have all these rules for their kids and, and, and some parents have no rules for their kids you can see in the way these kids live their lives. They, they kind of just get what they want and do what they want, and they're kind of disrespectful to everyone around them. And ironically, these children become the authority in the home. On the other spectrum is the parents that have all these rules, so many rules, that the kids can't do anything. There's a law for everything in the home. What they say, uh, what they do. Instead of teaching these kids to obey for the first time with a joyful attitude and just listen to mom and dad, that is your one job. They have all these rules of what they need to do. You can't jump on the bed. You can't touch the remotes. You can't do this. You can't do that. And these the kids are growing up. You must do this. You must do this. You must do this. And typically these parents are like, you will face the wrath of God if you break my law. And the reality is that we know from Scripture that our kids and every single person in this room today comes into this world and are born with a desperate need for God's law. We come into this world as fools. We have no idea what is good and, and bad and what is true and what is a lie, what is right and what is wrong. We are not made to be these self-governing people that live these independent lives to do just whatever we want to do. Just do what our feelings tell us to do. We need some guidance. We need some direction. We need some boundaries that will keep us safe. And that's exactly what God gave us in His perfect law. He gave us His law to guide our behavior with the clear knowledge of what is right and what is wrong. And not only does God's law help us know who He is in His holiness, it helps us know who we are in our sinfulness. It helps us see how sinful and truly broken we are. And actually, in God's grace, His law leads us to conviction. Because if we didn't have God's standard, His law, then how would we know that we need Jesus? 
So here's the thing that many people still get wrong today. We can't expect the law of God to do what only grace can do. We can't expect the law of God to do what only grace can do. In other words, the law, even though it's good, does this, this great job of exposing our sin, but it doesn't have the power to deliver us from that sin. The law doesn't have the power to, to rescue us from every single law that we break every single day. The law by itself does not have the power to create this lasting change that you and I so desperately want. And so many people, they look at God's law and they're like, I must do more. I must do more. I must obey more. I must try more. Then God's going to be happy with me. One of the shorter catechism questions asks this question. It says, what does the law of God require? And the answer is what? Personal, perfect and perpetual obedience. That we love God with all our heart, soul, mind and strength and love our neighbor as ourselves. What God forbids we should never do and what God commands we should always do. But as we've been studying the book of Galatians, we know this is impossible, right? To keep God's law perfectly. But we must remember the context in which the law was given in the first place. The law of Moses was given in this context of grace to a specific people at a specific time in history. After God saved His people from slavery in Egypt, He gave them His law as a gracious gift. So that His chosen people will know how to relate to Him and His holiness. So they can look different from the rest of the world around them. And it's because of this context of grace that perfect obedience that the Lord demands is a response to God's saving initiative, we could say. In other words, it is the context of grace that motivates a response of wholehearted devotion to a God that saves. But again, unfortunately, because of sin, people have messed up this reality for a very long time. Because thousands of years ago, and still today, People have misunderstood the purpose of the law. When people want to make it about you and your obedience to the law to somehow get the grace of God. And in fact, what Paul is doing here in this next section of Galatians chapter 3, is he's showing the Galatian church that if you're relying on the law of God, the Mosaic law to be precise, to be right with God, then instead of experiencing this, this blessed life that we've been talking about, you will experience the cursed life. The cursed life. Because so far Paul has been speaking about justification by faith in the positive sense. It's all been positive now in these early um, verses in chapter 3. Where if you believe God and take Him at His word like Abraham did, you will be blessed along with Abraham. Because God has His word through this promised blessing. To reverse everything that is broken in this world. And that includes people like you and me. Because we're united in Jesus. And then, that's what we saw in verses 6 to 9 last time. The blessed life being one that flows from faith in Jesus. And it's always been faith in Jesus, as we've been saying. But here in verses 10 to 14 of Galatians chapter 3, Paul is pointing out the negative side of justification by works. 
justification by works. For those who think they can be right with God based on their own obedience and their own self-righteous efforts. And essentially what Paul does here is that he's showing us that basically there's only two kinds of people in this world. Those who live by faith in Jesus and know they're right with God because of what Jesus did or those who rely on their own obedience to be right with God. So in Paul's mind it's pretty clear. There's only two, two roads you can travel on. One that leads to blessing or one that leads to cursing. One that leads to eternal life or one that leads to eternal damnation. There's no middle road. And so Paul now is going to start talking more about the role of the law in the, in the rest of Galatians. In the rest of this chapter. Because if you think about it, if it's by faith alone that we are made right with God, all the way back in Genesis, like we saw with Abraham, then what are we supposed to do with Exodus to Deuteronomy? That's what we're going to talk about in the weeks ahead as well. Paul is going to show us that the covenant God made with Moses does not contradict His covenant made with Abraham. Rather, we will see that God's covenant with Moses complements this promise made to Abraham. You see, the problem was the Judaizers were giving priority to the Mosaic covenant. Even though they knew, they recognized how important the Abrahamic covenant was. And they insisted that looking at the covenant with Moses, they, or let's rather say, they, they forgot to look at the covenant of Moses through the lens of the Abrahamic covenant. They were turning it around. And it led them to prioritize obedience to the law first as the primary way to be in God's family. So this is not something. People have been getting this wrong for a very, very long time. And they continue to do it today. People are still doing the exact same thing today. But then here's the question before us. What happens if you try to secure your salvation by the works of the law? This is what Paul's going to help us see. What happens if you try to secure your salvation by the works of the law? And the answer is you're cursed by God. Cursed by God. Paul essentially says that you block the way to receive the promised blessing of the Holy Spirit. And you are cursed. Cursed by the very law that you are relying on. Because he also says that God's solution for the cursed life is in fact the one that gives us this blessing. And this is the one who became the curse for us. And so what we need to do is we need to understand how to relate to the law of God. We need to know how to relate to the law of God. And the first thing Paul points out here in Galatians 3.10 is that the only way to be saved by the law is to keep all of the law. You say, okay, let's try this law path. Let, let, me, let me go on this path of the law. Let's see how that's going to work out. The only way to be saved by the law is to keep all of the law. He writes, For all who rely on works of the law are under a curse, for it is written, Cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law, and do them. I mean, the main idea that Paul wants to be clear again to the Galatians is that salvation can never come by obedience to the law. Because even if you get circumcised, that is not enough. 
You must keep all the laws of Moses if you're going to find life in the law and in your relationship with God, being accepted into His family. And so he continues to quote different passages from the Old Testament. We've been saying he's using the Old Testament to prove his point. And one of the reasons he gives why obedience to the law can't save you, here in verse 10, is because the law brings a curse and not a blessing. The law brings a curse and not a blessing. And so he quotes from Deuteronomy 27, 26. Pointing out that as the Old Testament law says, you must keep every single law to find acceptance before God. And his point is that unless you keep all the law, you're cursed. It's that simple. And the Judaizers, they're so proud of the law, thinking they will be blessed in keeping it. But now it's, it's helpful to consider exactly what's going on in Deuteronomy. Why is Paul choosing this passage and this moment? Because what you have here in the scene of Deuteronomy is God's people is actually crossing into the Jordan River, crossing the Jordan River to enter the Promised Land. And according to what Moses commanded, half of the tribes were on Mount Gerizim and the other half of the tribes were on Mount Ebal. And they are gathering on these mountains to worship God. And they were shouting out the blessings and curses of the covenant. One group from Mount Gerizim, they blessed the people of God. The other group on the other side, cursed the people of God. Let me give you some examples. Deuteronomy 27.15 Deuteronomy 27.15 It says this, Cursed be the man who makes a carved or cast metal image. An abomination to the Lord, a thing made by the hands of craftsmen, and it sits up in secret. And all the people shall answer and say, Amen. Alright? Verse 16. Cursed be anyone who dishonors his father and his mother. And all the people said, Amen. Verse 19. Cursed be anyone who perverts the justice due to the sojourner, the fatherless, and the widow. And all the people said, Amen. And then eventually he gets to verse 26. And he quotes here in Galatians. And he says, Cursed be anyone who does not confirm the words of this law by doing all of them. And all the people said, Amen. Yeah? What Paul is showing us is that there's judgment against anyone who does not keep every single one of God's laws. Because God's standard is a perfect standard. It requires nothing less than total obedience to His law. I mean, just He makes it more explicit. Just a couple of verses down. Deuteronomy 28.50 He says this. If Moses says this. If you are not careful to do all the words of this law that are written in this book, that you may fear the glorious and awesome name, the Lord your God, then the Lord will bring on you and your offspring extraordinary afflictions, afflictions severe and lasting, and sickness and grievous and lasting. And so again, the emphasis here is on the all. It's on the all. Because as one man says, the law is not this religious cafeteria where people can pick and choose what they want to obey. And we know this is what people still do today, isn't it? They get all serious about keeping the Sabbath, for example. Like the Judaizers were all serious about circumcision. But they ignore all the other laws that are given in the Bible. Finding their confidence in this one thing they're doing well. 
People get all proud of themselves and what they can do and they ignore what they can't. In fact, James has something to say about this as well, all the way in the New Testament. In James 2 verse 10, For whoever keeps the whole law, but fails in one point, has become guilty of all of it. You miss one, you're done. And so according to what Paul says here to the Galatians is that the punishment for failing to keep God's perfect standard is God's righteous curse. Now let's just consider this, the law here for a minute. Have you loved God with all your heart this morning? Have you loved your neighbor as you should this morning? Have you listened to your mom and dad the way you should this morning? Have you been patient with others this morning? Have you had any impure thoughts already this morning? Any desires for someone or something else that doesn't belong to you? Have you said anything in a, in a way that is not truthful or withheld the truth from anyone? I can go on and on and on. And unless you have kept all of this, along with all the other laws that you find in the Bible and the Word of God, you are cursed. What you think is a blessed life is in fact a cursed life. And so we can summarize what Paul is saying like this. He says, those who do not do everything the law requires are cursed. But then there's this obvious implication. It's so obvious that he doesn't even have to say it, which is, no one does everything required by the law. Because we're all sinners, you can't keep the law. If you're all about keeping the law to be right with God, then you're cursed. Because human beings fall away and fall way short of God's perfection. And that's what he requires. Absolute perfection. But then look at what he says next in verse 11. He is saying from a different angle, kind of the same thing. That you can't be saved by keeping the law because no one in history has ever been able to be justified by the law. Your only option is faith. Verse 11. He says, now it's evident that no one is justified before God by the law. For the righteous shall live by faith. So think about it this way. Faith and works, they operate on different principles. As we've been saying, as we study Galatians, one is by believing, as we've seen through Abraham, and the other is by doing like what the Judaizers are saying should be done regarding circumcision and all that. Now look at what Paul preached in his message in the New Testament about freedom in Jesus in the book of Acts. Acts 13, 38. Let it be known to you therefore, brothers, that through this man forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. Obviously talking about Jesus. And by Him everyone who believes is freed from everything from which you could not be freed by the law of Moses. See, the law of Moses cannot make you free because it does exactly the opposite. It locks you up in the prison of self-effort. And the thing is, you can't have it both ways. You can't say, I believe Jesus did it all for me on this end. And then I'm still relying on myself to feel right with God on this thing. It's like a man standing with one foot on the boat and one foot on the dock. And as the boat's pulling away, he's got to make a choice. Where is he going to land on this? Because if he doesn't, soon he's going to fall into the water. 
Paul wants to make it clear how the law and faith are separate. They function on different principles. And so what does he do? He quotes another passage from the Old Testament. What is this passage? You should know this one by now. Habakkuk 2.4 The righteous shall live by faith. But let me give you more of a context. Let's read the whole verse. He says, Behold, his soul is puffed up. It is not upright within him, but the righteous shall live by faith. Paul is using the same verse again in the book of Romans. So we know he has an important point that he wants to make through this argument. And what we see here in the original context of Habakkuk, the prophet Habakkuk was to condemn the pride of the Babylonians who had conquered Jerusalem. And the prophet is accusing them of being proud and relying on their self-confidence. Which is part of the same core problem for anyone who relies on the Lord. People become proud. Trying to rely on their own works. And so Paul makes this contrast again between living by faith and living by works. Because how are they supposed to understand grace in this context? God wants the justified in Jesus to live by faith. God's people are to continue to live by faith even if the fig tree does not blossom and the vines are lacking in fruit. Habakkuk 3.17 In other words, Habakkuk is showing us that God's people will continue to trust in His promise of a final future salvation in Jesus even if everything looks like they're falling apart. Because that's the principle and how believers are to live. And then he makes the contrast in verse 12. Paul is showing the opposite, so he quotes from Leviticus. Again, the Old Testament. He writes, But the law is not of faith, rather the one who does them shall live by them. And so Paul simply wants to point out that the cursed life, the life of relying on your own works, is the one based on what you do and not what you believe. Because the law and faith don't mix. And so the principle of the law says the same as the makers of Nike. Just do it. Just do it. Which then implies the law can save you if you could do it. But as we've already seen, no one can do it. No one can keep it. And so this leaves us all with a big problem. Because you can't be right with God by keeping the law. And if you are cursed because you're operating on this principle of just do it in your relationship with God, then Paul says, listen. Let me make it clear from the Old Testament. Let me show you where true freedom is found. Because instead of having this let's just do it attitude, you need a he did it attitude. He did it. Which is number two. The only solution for removing the curse of the law is Jesus Christ. Verse 13. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, going back to the Old Testament again, for it is written, cursed is everyone who has hanged on a tree. Finally, Paul's bringing Jesus into the conversation in this clear way. And he shows us this, this glorious solution to anyone that is living this cursed life. And we know that the curse that comes from the law is the wrath of God on all who fail to keep it. 
And the reality we know is that every one of us is under this curse because we have all failed the law of God. So if anyone is going to be saved, the curse must be removed. And that is what Jesus did. The moment He went to the cross, He redeemed us from the curse of the law. In other words, He purchased us with His own life. Now again, this is so cool, because in Paul's day, the word redeem was, to, it was used on the slave market, where someone would buy a slave back and set him free from his service as a slave. And this word also takes us back to the Exodus, to the very context of redemption that Israel had. In the same context which the law was given, as we said, where Israel experienced freedom from the bondage of the Egyptians. And now Paul says, the cross of Christ is the means by which God saves His people from the curse of the law to experience true freedom from a life of bondage. A life enslaved to your own works. And if there's redemption, it means there was a payment. And we know that Jesus, what He did when He died in our place, the substitutionary work, He made this full and final payment for our sin. But for Him to make this payment for our sins, He had to endure the curse of God on our behalf. So Paul explains how that was possible. He says, by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, curses everyone who is hanged on a tree. He's going back to quoting Deuteronomy 21-23. Deuteronomy 21-23 to help us understand how it is that Jesus became the curse for us. Because here's what Deuteronomy 21 says. I'm going to read from verse 22. The law says this, And if a man has committed a crime, punishable by death, and he is put to death, and you hang him on a tree, his body shall not remain all night on the tree, but you shall bury him the same day, for a hangman is cursed by God. The law required that someone be put to death in this public way to make it clear to everyone. Everyone could see that this guy hanging on that cross is being cursed by God. He wasn't allowed to be left there overnight. Because that would be offensive to God. That's why the Jews took Jesus down before the end of the day. The people, they were serious about this law. I mean... In Joshua, when he defeated the five Canaanite kings in Joshua 10.26, he had their bodies displayed on five trees, it says. But they also were taken down before sunset. The same thing happened with the seven sons of Saul at Gibeah in 2 Samuel 21.6. Now here's Jesus, the Son of God, being nailed to a cross. In this offensive way, hanging in the public side for all to see, as someone who has been cursed by God. Because at the heart of the gospel is the God man that is hanging on a tree. The gospel message about God who became man, who was cursed by God and was publicly crucified, even as the law said. In the New Testament, the apostles, they made a big deal about this. This was a big deal. And they frequently mentioned this in their preaching. Peter, in fact, and he preached about this to the Jewish religious leaders in Acts 5, verse 30. Saying, the God of our fathers raised Jesus, whom you killed by hanging him on a tree. 
Peter also mentions this in his first letter. 1 Peter 2, 24. He himself bore our sins in his body on a tree, that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. So Paul is using the law to show the Galatians that Jesus is the only solution to the curse of the law. Because he fulfilled it even in the way he died for us. That he became the curse for us. In other words, the death penalty of breaking the law. The very law that you broke even as you came to church today. Was executed on Jesus. And so the cross shows us how God feels about sin, doesn't it? And for those who are of faith, your sin no longer belongs to you. This is the good news. This is what Paul is saying. It now belongs to Jesus. Your curse became His curse. Because you've laid your sins on Jesus. It's been swallowed up in this remarkable transaction on the cross where Jesus purchases you, the slave to sin, and makes you free from the law. And all its requirements, and all its consequences. You know what, people hear this, and you hear this week after week after week. But I'm still worried about that sin that keeps me up at night. You're afraid of that sin that others will know about, and then you'll get embarrassed, and that sin that will embarrass you on the day when Jesus comes back. Do you know why God looks at you? And He looks to His right. Do you know He sees He sees Jesus standing next to Him? He says, My son, lift up your hands. And what do we see? We see the nail-pierced hands of Jesus. And God says, Oh, that sin, you refer to that sin? I turned that sin into a blessing for you. Look at my son. Did anyone tell you, when you look at Jesus, the curse of God that you deserve has now been put on Him? Essentially what God is saying is, look at your sin and look at my son. Look at the extent that I will go to, to give you the blessed life. Luther said it so well, Martin Luther. He says, so as long as sin, death, and the curse remain in us, sin damns us, death kills us, and the curse curses us. But when these things are transferred to Christ, what is ours becomes His, and what is His becomes ours. Let us learn, therefore, in every temptation to transfer sin, death, the curse, and all the evils that oppress us from ourselves to Christ. And then by faith, Receive the righteousness and blessing from Him. It's when we look at the cross, church, that we don't see a curse. Like people did thousands of years ago, we see a blessing. We see a blessing. Through the eyes of faith, we recognize what Jesus was doing on the cross. He was becoming the curse for me. He was becoming the curse for you. So think about it. Paul has been saying, even back in Galatians chapter 2, if you're putting yourself back under the law, 
then this sacrifice, this very sacrifice, where Jesus is becoming the curse for you, has no purpose. Nothing. But then we look at the rest of Paul's argument. Because not only do you have to keep all of the law to be saved by the law, which is impossible, but Jesus is a solution to the problem because He perfectly kept the law for you, even the way He died and He became the curse for you. But now finally, if you have put your faith in what Jesus has done, then notice thirdly that the only way to obey the law is through the blessing of Christ. You've got to see this. The only way to obey the law is through the blessing of Christ. Verse 14. So that in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles, so that we might receive the promised Spirit through faith. I remember a few years ago, standing at the hospital bed next to Pastor Allen, and he just had a new stint put in his heart. And he said, it felt like this, this new highway was put, this new highway of blood flow was put into his life, into his body. And there was this beautiful picture of him just feeling so free because of this new blood flow that's running through his, his heart. The access that was blocked was open again. Now in a similar way, Paul is saying that relying on your own efforts, you're causing this roadblock. This roadblock of, is stopping the blessed promise to Abraham to flow the way it should. So he's saying Jesus is like this new sin you put into the heart. He came to fix the heart problem. So that the blessing can flow like it should. In other words, Christ removes the curse of the law so that Gentiles receive Abraham's blessing. And here Paul gives us a bit more descriptions of what he means by this blessing. Because last time we spoke about this blessing being, being justified and declared right with God because of what Christ has done. But now Paul says, we also receive the promised Holy Spirit. Receiving the promised Holy Spirit. And now he talks about receiving the Spirit as part of this blessing. It's likely that even though Paul doesn't quote the Old Testament again, I'm sure he has Isaiah running in his mind. Isaiah 44 verse 3 which says, For I will pour water on the thirsty land and and streams on the dry ground. I will pour my Spirit upon your offspring and my blessing on your descendants. See, and the implication is that if you've received the promised Spirit of God, you can now obey the law of God. Something that was impossible before has now become possible in Jesus Christ. Because we are so united to Him, the one who has perfectly kept the law for us. And with the Spirit at work in our lives, He changes the way we think about the law of God. The law of God that says in the Old Testament, Deuteronomy 6 verse 5, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might, and these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. I mean, that commandment stays here for a while until the very next idol comes along and it's gone. But now because we've received the grace of God in Jesus, and because we have received this promised indwelling Holy Spirit, our response to the law of God is different than it was before. As we've been made alive in Jesus to obey, to obey the word of God, our response to the law of God is one of faith and love. 
faith and love because now we know that what Paul is saying is that we can't obey the law of God by ourselves, for ourselves. We want to obey the law of God because we have the Spirit of God. And we want to obey for Jesus. God said that what He will do through Jesus and the Spirit is He will write the law on our hearts. Jeremiah 31. He has to write it on our hearts. And in Ezekiel 36, He goes on to explain. And I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh. And I will give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. People who rely on themselves do not know what this verse means. All these promises of God are linked together in Jesus Christ, which means that our only hope of fulfilling what the law requires is the new birth. You must understand that the law can't do what grace can do. It's only grace. If you've been born again to a new life in Jesus, and you've come out of the ICU of the spiritual heart surgery, and you've stopped relying on yourself and your own efforts to be right with God, then you can receive God's indwelling Spirit. And you can be obedient to the law. And it's not just possible because you're united to Jesus, but the law becomes something you love. What is this burden on you that condemns you? becomes this thing that you love. Because even as you fail, it leads you to Jesus again and again and again. Instead of living the cursed life, you are now able to enjoy the blessed life. Paul is showing us how we should relate to the law of God. And he, he started by making it clear that the only way to be saved by the law is to keep all of the law. Not possible. Ecclesiastes 7.20 says, Surely there is not a righteous man on earth who does good and never sins. And because we cannot obey the law of God by ourselves, we are under the curse of the law. You're cursed. But Paul shows us that the only solution to removing the curse of the law is Jesus. It's always been Jesus. He redeemed us from the curse of the law by dying according to the requirements of the law. The Messiah, the promised one, cursed by God, becoming the curse for you. So that the curse of God can be removed from our lives. And all this has a purpose, this beautiful purpose to enable us to receive the promised Holy Spirit. This promised blessing of unity in Jesus. That we can love each other the way we should. I love my neighbor. Even if my neighbor is from a different culture, from a different background, I can love my neighbor because this promise that was made to Abraham now flows through me because of Jesus becoming the curse for me. All this deepens our relationship with Jesus. So what are you relying on? Is your life marked by one of blessing? Or are you tired because your life is in fact cursed? Trying to earn your favor with God by what you do. 
simple thing we have to take away from today is we need to be sure we're not living the cursed life. You must make sure that you're not relying on your own efforts to be accepted into God's family. So let me ask you these things. If you think you're better than other people, if you think you're better than other people, perhaps you're living the cursed life. If you compare yourself to other people all the time and you feel you're not as bad as they are, then perhaps you're living the cursed life. If you forget how radically sinful you are, then perhaps you are living the cursed life. If you think you must read your Bible for exactly 30 minutes every day, you must pray exactly in a certain way for 30 minutes every day. If it doesn't happen, you feel guilty and you feel God doesn't love you anymore. Maybe you're living the cursed life. If you feel there's never time to rest, that everything in your life is, is going to fall apart if you do, perhaps you're living the cursed life. If you have people all around you that praise your name all the time and tell you how great you are, and you start to think that God is impressed with you as well, and what you've done, if any of this that I've just said becomes your basis for your relationship with Jesus, you're living a cursed life. So I would encourage you, once again, run to the cross of Jesus. Because there the curse of God is dealt with once and for all. Charles Spurgeon, he summarizes this well. He says it this way. You may have been moral and outwardly commendable, but the heart and intent are what the Lord looks at. Just think about that. The Lord doesn't care how much you want to obey. He just wants you to obey. Desire, He doesn't care about your desire. The Lord cares about what you do. And because you have not loved the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength, and have not loved your neighbor as yourself, and have come short of the demands of His righteous law, and are under a curse. But for you, oh dear Christian, for you have placed your full and complete trust in the Lord Jesus. The Lord cannot curse you, though you have broken it in, in your own person's incurred its penalty. Since you are in Christ Jesus, the law has not a word to say against you. Because it all comes down to this. Jesus was cursed so that you can be blessed. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you so much that you would love us so much that you would send your only son, Jesus, not to come and just die for our sins, and we talk about this all the time, but Lord, becoming the curse that we deserve. Removing the very curse that we incur every single day by breaking your perfect law. Father, we recognize how sinful we are. As we look at your word, as we look at your law, it shows us how much we need Jesus. So Father, forgive us for any self-reliance. Forgive us for, for trusting in any little good thing we think we've done as a means of feeling okay with you. Our okayness does not come from ourselves. Our acceptance comes because of the perfect Lord Jesus. He not only became man, but He became the curse.
Father, help us to embrace this truth in our lives. Help anyone that's here today that is relying on themselves. Even in those moments of pressure, in those moments of discouragement, in this moment of failure, looking to themselves first. Help them to repent and look to Jesus first. To find their acceptance before Thank you for the gospel of grace. Thank you for your Lord. Thank you for Jesus. We pray this in His name. Amen.